Let's face it, cards were not designed for online. Payments can take days to settle, hurting customer loyalty, while high fraud, clunky checkouts and expensive fees means millions in missed revenue. At TrueLayer, we've made instant payments available for businesses across Europe and the UK, so you can cut costs, fight fraud, and get money moving faster. To learn more, visit TrueLayer.com forward slash payments. How will WebTree unlock the future financial services and change the way we think about money? Our first ever Web3 report takes a deep dive into the biggest conversation taking place in finance. Unpacking tokens, stablecoins, ESG, DAOs, DeFi, regulation, and so much more. We also take a look at the opportunities it presents for your business. For crypto natives and newbies, head to 11fs.com forward slash Web3 report to download it today and get Web3 ready. Welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. My name is David Breer and we are live at Money 2020 in Amsterdam. It's very good to be back in front of real people, I have to say. I'm odd, oddly excited doing this. And there actually are real people. There are people watching us do this podcast as well. And they can hear us, can't you? Like awkward eye contact and a wink from a gentleman out there, which is which is good. We'll talk about that later on in a little bit more detail. Uh, in today's episode, in association with TrueLayer, we are looking at how payments uh, are actually changing in the industry. We're going to be looking at how they are diversifying through partnerships and the value-added services to stay competitive that are needed. If payments is the bread and butter of the fintech industry, then there are many companies now looking to top that bread with extra toppings, make themselves some sort of sandwich, like pizza, something. We have an Italian here, pizza. Like, there's got to be, it's got to be some sort of metaphor we can drag out. Of this, isn't there? But, uh, but with PwC predicting that the global digital payments market will reach 361.3 billion by 2030, why are so many companies wanting to add more? I'm guessing it's the 361 billion. Uh, today, though, what we're going to be doing, we're going to be looking at what can payment providers do to diversify their offerings and what are the value-added services that they can build on top. Also, what comes next for the payments industry? Uh, as always, though, this isn't just me talking to myself. We are joined by some super-duper awesome guests to get into it. Returning to Fintech Insider, we have, and uh, we practice names beforehand, but uh, my brain is not going to do this particularly well, Francesco Simoneschi. Yes, that's Nailed correct. Uh, Co-founder and CEO of TrueLayer. Francesco, welcome back to the, to the show. How are you doing? I'm well. Thank you for having me. No worries at all. Thank you for, for not having a go at me for, for butchering your name. Um, it's amazing to be in front of a bunch of people again, isn't it? Have you, uh, how's your money 2020 so far? So far, very brief. I just landed this morning, but like... Um, I think it's, it's refreshing to uh, be at Money 2020 without this sort of like overreaching fear of like getting COVID any other meeting, right? Mm. That was kind of the case of last year. He, he says locked in a small perspect box in the middle of a conference <laughs> exactly. like, with seven other people. But uh, but yeah, we all, I mean, I, I did say this to somebody earlier on, is like, it's the Dutch people you got to be careful for because everybody else has traveled in and showed proof of, uh, of uh, inoculations, haven't they? But everybody else, so, you know, you know, never know, do you? But I think I think we're gonna just be fine this 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 time around. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. All right. Well, uh, welcome back. Anyway, it's good to good to have you on again. Uh, making their fintech insider debut, we have Amrita Shreve Starver. How was that? Yeah. That was All right. money. Uh, money 2020. Here we go. Uh, Executive Director, Growth and Global Business Development at Binance. Uh, welcome to the show. How's things? 
good and it's good to be back um, in person shaking hands and talking to people without masks so who knew that would be a blessing but it is indeed it really is um tell us a little bit more about binance um, sure. For, for people not familiar with Binance, it's a crypto exchange. It's the largest crypto exchange in the world, which is really a crypto trading platform. And um, it's been around for about five years now. Um, and I've been there for about two months. <laughs> so recent days. Uh, but my background is in banking and payments. So that's kind of the marriage between the two. Very, very cool. And last but very much not least, making another uh, FinTech Insider debut here, we have Sarah Bosland. Oh, did I get that right? You told me before this you got two surnames, didn't you? But uh, <laughs> Yeah, which, I usually um, actually go by Sarah Lawrence, but that's okay. Okay. I'll which one would people find on LinkedIn? Because that's where they Sarah Lawrence. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Bad, bad, bad for SEO sometimes, aren't they? Uh, who is the head of product at Banking Circle. Um, tell us a little bit more about Banking Circle, Sarah. Absolutely. And thanks for having me. Uh, Banking Circle is a payments bank. So we service mainly financial institutions. So amongst our clients, we number some of the biggest most innovative payment service providers out there. So so they basically provide this experience that merchants and, and buyers get. And behind the scenes, we make the money move. Making the money move, that's always good. There's lots of lots of money people here. Clearly, Money 2020 attracts lots of money people. It makes sense. Banking attracts a lot of money people in that sense, doesn't it? Um, maybe let's get off to a good start and talk a little bit about the, the, the scene in this sense. I mean, payments is hot. Uh, it's quite hot in this room as well, actually, for, for, for that matter, in terms of what we're doing. But maybe if we start with what actually is diversification in that sense. Do you want to start us off with this one? Yeah, sure. I guess, like, in a simple way, like, payment, it is a very discrete function, right? Like, you move money from A to B, and we can argue, like, how well, how efficiently, cost-effective you can do that, and there are ways to differentiate and go about that. But fundamentally, that's that's how it works. And then there's everything else, right? Like the real problem, the uh, kind of like consumers trying to get in fruition of value and do that whether fast or in an easy manner or frictionless and businesses trying to solve broader problems. And that's where I believe diversification and just like this old concept of how do we expand the value of payments comes from. Like, can we go and solve just larger problems that it's just not about moving money from A to B, even though it's extremely valuable, but everything that uh, revolves around that moment, right? Yeah. And so it's the entire customer journey and the entire set of features that I, I would say like any other digital business, that's, that's kind of a, our, our line of business, like serving digital businesses, they will need in order to solve the pain point of their consumers, right? Yeah. And, and so maybe just to boil it down, it's everything that happens to be non-payment related, but the, that, that you can bind on top of uh, the payment functionality, that's where I think diversification and, uh, you know, having a portfolio of products come from. Yeah, it makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, it's taking the problem to the solution to a certain degree. And what I mean by that is like no businesses, no customers wake up and go, I'd like to do me some payments. You know, it's like that's just not a problem anybody's looking to solve, is it? So but what do you think? Diversification in this sense, how, how would you see that as as this increase in sort of value and services. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I kind of agree with what uh, Fra was saying. I think from my old hat on uh, being ex-Mastercard and being ex-City. They had lovely hats, actually, uh, Mastercard. Like a real good range <laughs> of swag. <laughs> Me too. Uh, but so if you think about payments as a transaction and you make what is, what are you transferring, right? Any fungible asset. And I think when we broaden the definition of payments to that, right? And that's where... 
Then we're talking about fiat, obviously, which is where the majority of the people are today. But then we define, extend the definition to anything that is fungible, and that's where we get into crypto and things like that. And so then, and then the challenges that that Fra mentioned of what they're solving for is regardless of what is fungible, it's going from A to B. How do we make it as seamless, as transparent, and as cheap and efficient as possible? Um, I think that's kind of the goal, and that's where the diversification is coming in in terms of value-added services there, in terms of the technology that builds underneath it. Um, and I think that's where we're seeing the growth uh, that you quoted about PwC um, and the payments growth that we've seen in our tenure uh, in Korea in this place. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's um, I guess we shouldn't be too surprised and this is a trend in that sense because you know a lot of the organizations that are in you know you guys is a really good example you've come into the market you've done an amazing job at doing what you did from a beachhead perspective and this is about value add as a, a, a broadening of the capability in that sense in the industry and really i mean we've seen financial services organizations do this for 350 years. It's like, smash one thing, do it really well, do more things that add more value. It just sort of makes sense. Sarah, any other things that you'd like to add on that? No, Diversification? I, I think, you know, it's textbook digital transformation, isn't it? You have uh, companies coming in, going into a specific area, payments, specializing, doing that exceedingly well, gaining the hearts and the loyalty of their clients, and they're phenomenally well positioned to then expand the value chain from there. And yeah. that's what's happening. The, the industry's really maturing, has been for a number of years. Yeah. Well, the, there's a quote here. So Kate Drew of CG Catalyst Consultancy uh, previously described value-added services as the flip side of embedded finance. Obviously, we're seeing so much in that sense. And it goes back a little bit to what I say about taking the uh, the solution to where the problem is. You know, we saw you know people like PayPal do that uh, back in the day in terms of being the easiest, the easiest button so I don't have to find my wallet. You know, like that's the solution that they were solving for. Do we see it in that way? Are we seeing, you know, the flip side of embedded finances, services that go from, you know, payments arguably as a, a primitive at the bottom of a, a system to really where the customers are in terms of where the value is? Yeah, I believe that's that's kind of a, a fitting metaphor and, and a, an existing dynamic. Uh, the reality is that even in traditional financial services, you do have this concept of um, land and expand, like or or market power, if you want, like the the fact that by virtue of you mastering one key aspect, uh, then you are capable of distributing other services to the same customer, basically, and 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 I think that that's where uh, the majority of modern businesses and and venture funded businesses are a little bit predicated, like. I think like we are in this source of land grab kind of um, that race, but many other also verticals are in the same situation where companies are creating value by mastering one part of the spectrum and then like creating this source of distribution power. And often that's where also their monetization strategy comes from. Yeah. Because then you look at what is the value of a single customer and more like B2C companies, maybe they will think more uh, as their own end user, right? But And then you are starting to, to think about where is the LTV and can, how can I improve this LTV? And, 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 I, and I believe like payment specifically, it's very interesting because you have maybe a massive functionality that it's all about moving money very efficiently, but then you have like tons of quirkness just like around the edges. And that's where like sometimes this value add really lies and where like you can do more like the marginality on top. Yeah. I believe 
I know cards like they they clearly have um, incredible margin on more the effects component of like cross border payment versus just like pure debit card processing. That's, that's an example, but you wouldn't be able to drive that sort of like um, effects proposition without having that market power uh, to be the utility, right? Yeah. And I think like that is happening in many other aspects. Now, I think a lot, is, a, a lot of the competitive dynamic is shifting into what I will define the system of records, which is basically the application logic that lives on top of payment or other financial service functionalities to the extent that you are not selling anymore a payment product or you're not positioning a payment product, you're positioning more like maybe a SaaS software or, or, or just like a solution for a broader problem where payment or some financial service happens to be a smaller perceived feature but can actually drive a lot of marginality and the right unit economics. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And in that sense, it's not really a, to, to your point around the industry. I mean, that, in that sense, it's, I mean, we're at a financial services industry conference, but I mean, that's a problem that every business has to solve to a certain degree. You know, there's uh, examples like Shopify of the, I mean, even Apple, right? The amount of money that Apple generate from financial services, that is not uh, a financial services organization, right? It's, uh, it's interesting times for those players in that sense, isn't it? You know, and when you talk about traditional banks, you know, traditional not just banks, but you know, FIs more broadly. Then I guess that that competitive tension is is really interesting, isn't it? That's I think that's why we're all probably getting out of bed with a bit of a skip in the in the morning because the the competitive landscape means everybody's having to do something, and the change is is almost inevitable in that sense, isn't it? It's um, evolve or die, isn't it? In that in that sense. But I mean, Sarah, what do you think? I mean, how would you think about those those services in terms of you know where we're we're talking about that you know flip side of embedded finances it was was creating? Is this this change that we're seeing in payments really a, an effect of a stone that was thrown in a lake in another? Is this just the ripples of change sort of coming to the shore? That was very deep, wasn't it? Uh, you know, I think it's a natural point in the evolution of the payments business. The things are becoming more mature. Many, many companies have got the core right. So it's a very competitive market now. And it's the time for people to start to differentiate. And the way to differentiate if you're in a competitive market is to look at how you can do different things, new value-added services, and hope that you're going to choose something that someone else is not choosing. <laughs> or if you choose the same as someone else, that it's going to be competitive, you're going to be best. Yeah. So I think it's, it's, a, it's an inevitable sign of the industry maturing, yeah. becoming more competitive. Do you think similar? The, the, is this the, a sign of the competitive landscape, sort of changing the things that organize Because, you know, I go back to the, the number. That was a big number, wasn't it? You know what I mean? Like payments companies are making... Pretty good money just doing payment stuff, but actually the opportunity in terms of everything that's ahead of it can be even bigger, can't it? Uh, yeah, and I mean, I, not to get philosophical, but I think it also is... Do it. <laughs> like, if you can't get philosophical at 1 p.m. in Amsterdam, when can you? Eh? No, but um, I guess it, it comes from my interaction with a lot of like fintech co-founders and CEOs over the last three to four years. And I think, in my opinion, what the beauty of it is, they don't just think about, oh, this is the technology and this is the technology I'm solving for, right? I think the beauty across this group of people is like, and how am I going to make it better? How am I not going to make, oh, today I'm going to exercise payments and do these many transactions? People don't think about that, right? And I am not one of those people and I'm 
absolutely enamored by people who do these things. And I think with who that, are those weird people? Who, like, do you, do you get out of bed and be? You can't. You can't be getting out of bed and being like, I want to do some payments. Come on. Well, I mean, sometimes like for the court record, I pointed at fraud. <laughs> I mean, it I must, mean, you, you, do you, you have, have kids? Have that bag of, of like w- wanting to solve like payment problems and stuff. Yeah. Like, do you, Do you have uh, well pay, yeah, solving I, payment problems? But like at a dinner party, you're like it's a, it's a hard it's a hard press no, no, to no, push no, no. to That's to move. Yeah. So do you have kids? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Do do. So do you a talk to to, to you? Oh, okay. They they too young to talk to them about payments. Then they they, they just. He's just starting to talk right now. Like, oh, okay, no, not, fine. not yet about payments. Fine. Fine. Is, is Mine are eight and ten, and I've tried to explain to them what I do for a, a job in that context. Having none of it in any way, shape, or form. So uh, they want to talk to Mr. Beast, who apparently is in fintech these days. But uh, other than that, they're they're not interested in that sense. But uh, but in those in those services, though, do you, do you think it is that that competitive broadening that's it's, really spurring it? And, and it's competition, but it's also like having that vision, right? They don't just go about, oh, this is the infrastructure I'm going to change because the technology enables. That's probably just sitting at the core of what they do. But it's like, oh, how can I make that seamless? How can I make my customer not have to think about it? Mm-hmm. Oh, my customer said, and I'm especially seeing this on the Binance side, a lot of our partners are like, hey, we understand this place is dynamic and these are all the other things that we think we might be willing to try out. Yeah. Let's see if it works. Let's see if it helps make someone's life easier, right? And I think it's that above and beyond. So competition is one space, but the space is growing so much that's enough for everyone to do. There's enough of a pie if that the pie keeps growing, right? Yeah. And I think what what we're seeing here is that vision and that execution on that vision to make things better and not make payment an activity, yeah. if that makes sense. And I think the more that kind of gets lost in conversation and more we talk about user experiences, how things happen and things like that, I think that's why, where you're seeing the growth and seeing the flip side of embedded finance, if yeah. that makes sense. So, so who's doing this? Who's doing this well? Like, because obviously, yeah, I mean, we're talking about very large numbers. We're talking about a very competitive landscape. You know, there's a lot of companies in and around us in terms of the things that we can kind of see in terms of the the booths and whatnot. But who would you say in this market is is kind of excelling in this sense? What do you, what do you think? We are. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, other than you, who are like, but but yes, but like, because obviously this is difficult. Like, and actually, I think I think real challenge in this is being a B two B brand that has almost B2C presence in the way in which you're trying to present these thing, things up. That's hard, isn't it, in a market? I think, like, you, you can, uh, to a certain extent, like, differentiate into uh, buckets of companies. I believe you have the more uh, PSPs alike that are trying to improve the overall uh, payment experience, also branching into... Uh, more like what are the broader needs of the of the of the customer? Mm. I mean, Stripe could be a good example where like they recently um, announced like a product for banks to improve their strong customer authentication, but also they have a product for solving for cross-border um, taxes in the U.S. Right, so you have this sort of breadth of different services that a merchant that has mainly like. Um, digital activities and digital business can cherry pick to uh, solve like broader complexity. But then there is something that it's more about the, uh, let's call it like the payment method itself, right? And I think open banking in the UK is doing something right. But if I if I look more broadly at everything that is happening in the world, I believe like you have maybe Peaks in Brazil that is doing extremely well. UPI in India that's doing extremely well. Uh, Swiss in Sweden that is doing very very well. So even to give credit to the banks, which are um, you know often like 
uh, in this conversation, they always uh, end up being on the side of like the, the laggard and like dragging their feet. But I think like it clearly showed that when they won, they can actually come up with pretty innovative, um, you know, payment experiences that hinges on different technology compared to the 16-digit kind of um, um, on, on the on the plastic, right? Yeah. I mean, I think back to your point earlier on, you don't necessarily have to be first, but if you can do it at scale, you win, right? And actually, you know, for all of the change that we've seen in the market, the big banks still have most of the customers, right? You know, so so if you really do want to distribute and, and distribute to all of the different players in that sense, probably internationally, then big banks are still a pretty decent bet on that. But I mean, is there what's the risk in here? Do you think there is... Uh, do you think there's a, a danger in this? Because, I mean, I, I, I'm a, don't get me wrong, and uh, a lot of people have kind of attest this, like I'm a big fan of doing multiple things well rather than just doing one thing well. But this is really a pattern we've seen in every industry, isn't it? It's uh, innovation turns to almost ossification around the things that they do. Uh, you know, like, and actually, does the payments industry risk a little bit taking their eye off the ball, do you think, in terms of focusing on too many things? You were all shaking your heads. I'm guessing not. Uh, that's that's an obvious risk if you go too wide. I think I'd like you asked examples. I'd like to call out a name like Toast that I think is really okay. interesting example. You see a lot of the companies in the payments area adding value-added services still within banking services, still within those services that a small business might need uh, to do the job, marketing automation. But at the end of the day, no founder set up a business to do marketing automation or payments. That's not what they wake up at night dreaming about, right? Um, and a company like Toast, they've actually done something different. They set up payment services for the restaurant industry. And what they've done is they've gone into value-added services that are meaningful to restaurants. And they're kind of becoming a one-stop shop for all of the software services that a restaurant might need. And so they're moving closer to the core of their clients offering things like order management systems, booking systems, et cetera. And I think that's a really interesting strategy, um, which, you know, if your domain and your segment is large enough, yeah. can actually really succeed. Well, definitely, if you solve real problems, that's something people will pay for. And as you say, that's a, that's a real, and I don't yeah, just mean that. top of mind problems as yeah. well, right? Well, exactly. You're, you're solving problems for your customers, but not problems that you've caused, <laughs> uh, which is an, it was an, a nice way to be on that side of things, isn't it? So yeah. um, what, what do you think? Are we... Are we sort of seeing, I guess, at that point, some sort of, because there's a there's a startup in payments for every different slice of everything that's going, are we seeing so much of a, you know, a proliferation that there might be a problem in that sense? Uh, I mean, so there are a few things, right? And I think this probably connects back to what you shared earlier. So I think in terms of, is someone, is payments growing too much and is someone going to lose sight of the ball and things? I think that's actually where competition plays in, if that makes sense, because there's always someone trying to kind of better. And I've seen this in my time uh, uh, with fintechs, like there's always someone trying to do something a little bit better than the previous predecessor who really did well. And so you always, so there's always new technology and always a better solution coming, right? So I think there's always someone, you as a company might mature and focus on other things, but there's always someone kind of doing that. So as an industry, I don't think that's that much of a risk if that um, if that answers your question and then again and it always goes back to there are problems to solve and then there are problems that get made and then need to be solved sure. right uh, but I think there's there's space for a lot of players in there right mm -hmm. and there's still so many challenges I mean when we I mean cash is still 
is cash still exists, right? We like to think in this world that, oh, like, who's thinking of cash? But you step out of Europe, you set up a thing. There are things where, where your cards are not accepted. There are payments that still, there are payments that still take three days. I don't even understand why. Because it's not like there's a truckload of money going anywhere, right? It's digital messaging. If I can WhatsApp it, you should be able to get it, right? Like, that's kind of the idea. So there's still, like, there's some really big, chunky problems for payments to solve. And I'm looking at my peers, yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of where the opportunity is. So again, competition, yes, but the risk, there's so many other players in the field. There's always someone in there. Yeah. And there's still there's still a lot to do. Still a lot of opportunity left on the table, isn't there, for sure? It's, it's a huge I, part. I, I mean, it's interesting, going back to that, um, the point you make around the, the that change, we, we often talk about the fabric, you know, the fabric of financial services. That's what we're seeing evolving. And that goes from you know, lowest level primitives in terms of, you know, payments where they're all the way through to the, the front end of it. And it feels like, I mean, sticking with you for two seconds on the, the crypto side of things, I mean, cryptocurrency is not a, an evolutionary step. It's a revolutionary step, you know, both in terms of the the confines of the regulation around it, but also the the sort of intent of, uh, of decentralizing these things in terms of the control powers around them as well. I mean, how much do you see, I mean, obviously, I would say quite a lot to give in your organization, but how much would you see that as a almost a, a changing of the guard when it comes to where payments really sits? I think, so I'm not a technology person, if that makes sense. I'm not going to try and comment on that. But I think what we're seeing with the cryptocurrencies and the crypto exchanges, there is a infrastructure change coming, right? And oftentimes, I think the best equivalent people have spoken about is the internet, right? This is a fundamental change in terms of what's happening. But what oftentimes what people forget is, and this is the best way someone explained it to me, what we're seeing in the Web3 and the crypto world is pre-HTTP, right? So we're not even on Yahoo and Google stage yet, right? We're, we're talking about the internet before that, and that's kind of where crypto is. And I'm sure I'm quoting someone, so apologies, whoever that was. <laughs> was I like the idea of this. It's like dial-up digital assets. Like, uh, we're, we're at that stage <laughs> we're at in the evolutionary stage, right? Yep. We're at that stage. And so it's, it's so incredibly early on. But then what is founded on this is, you know, obviously regulation, but obviously regulation is always a laggard indicator and I say this from my banking days right it's they come to you when you've messed up right not <laughs> beforehand kind of thing and so with that in mind I think given that there's a infrastructure change happening there is some sort of a change in regard but it's not going to be like an on-off switch like oh now everything is crypto deal with it I think we're in an evolution stage and we'll see like how internet I mean what people started using the internet like 90s or something yeah and like most of us got a Gmail account in like what 2000 something right so we're, we're still like 10-15 years away from that and so there is a change of guard happening there is a but I don't think it's going to be like oh my god if I don't I mean please do get your crypto wallet with Binance shameless pitch <laughs> uh, but but I think there is uh, yeah. there is going to be a gradual change in that. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? There's there's almost um, as we say there's evolutionary steps and revolutionary steps. Obviously, like demonetization in India, like was a huge push for for digital payments. Yeah. COVID arguably has been a huge push for digital more broadly. In and fact, it's, bigger. Yeah. You so look at numbers than demonetization. So in there's India. these weird moves that shape our industry that benefit our industry in some instances and you know like crisis here and crisis that. there as well it's interesting you say that so for me like I can speak about India probably because my parents retired and moved back and you know coming from a different world and getting them onto well India is not what India used to be 20 years ago conversation right and it's interesting you mentioned about demonetization and COVID because in my opinion actually the UPI has been the biggest change in sustainable way in how everyday people 
interact and make payments in India. Yeah. Right? Someone, 65-year-old mother, downloading Google Pay and Paytm and being like, oh, I gave that to the rickshaw guy. I gave that to there. Blah, 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 and like not having change. That is what is... Like, it's not actually COVID. I mean, maybe COVID, but people kind of autocorrect. But when you have a technology yeah. and that kind of the ease of use of that technology drives change... Mm-hmm. I hope there's someone quoting these numbers somewhere. I'm not the person for that. But I'm, that's a systemic change that actually lasts. So yeah. That's kind of been my experience. Well, and the knock-on effect there as well, it's not just a, oh, I can do it on my app. It's like like anti-money laundering and like all of the things that kind of, you know, the nefarious bad cases that happen with all of these things. But And, and actually, I mean, I guess as payments go more and more digital, we're seeing more and more broad inclusion in that sense as well. It, you know, it isn't just, you know, your mum being able to do it. It's actually people who haven't been included in financial services more broadly gaining access. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is, let's, let's say, going back to, uh, like, you, you have a, a, a cash... Um, based kind of society and and you uh, may or may not have like the need of having a bank account or have like more advanced kind of um, uh, access to financial services uh, and, and then like all of a sudden you need to be on the banking system to start to transact so that's a big driver of adoption and then once you're there clearly you now have an opportunity to uh, figure whether like you, you need certain products or not and, and hopefully uh, on the other side, uh, of course, uh, there is a certain level of responsibilities of businesses that they they need to care and not exploit in a way like those sorts of like um, lagger court of customers that are going to be onboarded and and make sure that you know this 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 kind of like onboarding journey happens in a in a healthy manner. Yeah. Um, but but also. I think there are other dynamics, like we, we like often think in terms of uh, maybe like low income segment of the population or maybe uh, elderly um, segments as well. But like, I think like it, it, it's also very much about like the very youngster, mm. like they are going to be the one driving like new payments habit moving forward. And I think like they are getting into fruition of digital payments way sooner than what I did, what probably like we, we all did here, right? Uh, at, at an age in which like I was even thinking about like having a bank account, having to deal with money in, in, any, in any way. Like, yeah. right? But it, it, really we're talking about three different types of evolution or, or innovation here, right? You've got the, the sort of underbanked because they're in a market with lots of banks, but no one will bank them. That's one type of innovation where typically what we see is known solutions adapted for that, like a prepaid card. Then you have the you know Asian, African examples where people are underbanked because there is no bank. And where really we're skipping a generation of banking products, creating a whole different style of innovation that I think will be very interesting to see how that influences the innovation in, in our Western world. And then finally, your sort of third uh, segment there, the, the youngsters. Who, who don't have that tradition. Well, it's interesting in that sense, though, isn't it? Because those places where, you know, if we talk about demonetization or we talk about M-Pesa as a, an African example in that sense, you know, great payment rails are a, a, a sort of a bedrock of, of innovation to be built on in that sense, which exactly as we're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. It's those value services that come higher. I mean, it's to your point earlier on around three-day pay, you know, 
it, it often shocks me that the US has got such a, an innovative fintech space, given how terrible their payments capability and terrible their payments rails actually are. You know, but in some instances, innovation has had to happen because of that. You know, Venmo exists because payments are terrible there. If it didn't, they wouldn't. You know, and it's it's interesting to see that context switch, isn't it? Uh, I mean. What do you reckon will happen in this sense, though? Because if everybody's pushing up the stack, you know, all of the all of the payment players, you know, highly capitalized, doing great things, being very successful in terms of where, where they're going, everybody's pushing to the top of the stack. Everybody's looking to be that that super app in the future in terms of the the conduit for you, everything within your lives. I mean, how is this going to play out? The the you know, everybody wants to be the, the marketplace, don't they? Nobody wants to sell things in the market. So what, uh, what, what, how do you think about that in that context? Uh, I mean, uh, again, two different buckets, right? Like, and I, and I believe like they may play out differently. Like one is the B2C space into that sense of uh, creating like the super app. Um, I believe for different reasons, the reality is that uh, technology showed that there are some sort of like monopolistic incentive uh, because user acquisition become at some point like cheaper and cheaper as you're gaining scale. And so I believe more about like the story of like being the super app in that sense. Mm. Uh, that doesn't mean it's going to be only one, but like there's going to be competition, there's going to be segmentation, but it's going to be more about the fewer, more than 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 many. Yeah. Uh, so just, just to make an example, I believe there's going to be fewer super financial apps versus like the number of just banks that we have right now, just to. to uh, then the other side is more like payment companies and, 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 and payment oriented businesses that are serving uh, some of those also B2C companies. In that sense, I believe you're gonna have, the, the reality is that you're gonna have a layer that is broad and generalistic uh, and then you're going to have companies selecting and zoning into specific areas and kind of very committed to do a very good job into solving those payment use cases. And in that sense, I believe the market it is going to be large enough and diversified enough to support multiple competitors that are the outer look. They are all somehow like going to all look the same. Mm. But when you start digging in, then you see um, a different kind of like DNA uh, for maybe a specific use case versus another. And, yeah. and, and I think like it, it's a problem of where, what do you want to be, where you want to play, what are your strengths, what you believe it's going gonna, it's gonna to be the future. Yeah. So but I also, think, you know, maybe remember that our bread and butter is someone else's value-added service. In almost every other domain, there's going to be someone who wants to add payments yeah. as a value-added service, and they're not going to look for the supermarket. They're going to look for the specialist. Yeah. Mm. I mean, that, that's an interesting point. So both in terms of uh, organizations that are looking to embed your capability into theirs, a la Shopify, you know, putting everything that they're doing from a financial services perspective into what they do as a core business, but, but equally somebody else pressing you from a competitive perspective moving into your space, right? That could be the case as well, I yeah. guess, yeah. And this, I mean, to your point, all of that is, it doesn't feel particularly great at the time, does it? Competition doesn't feel great if you're being, you know, competed with. But actually, from a market perspective, that's what we want. You know, the, uh, I think you said about open banking earlier on, the, you know, the whole of the mandate from a FCA perspective is competition. It's about creating the environment that the outcome is is true competition for, for uh, organizations, but is great outcomes for customers in that sense. Um, I mean, obviously, I mean, in the UK, if we talk about that uh, for a little bit, because obviously I know you guys are, are doing a lot of stuff there. I mean, open banking is is big, but the 
uh, chatting with Charlotte a couple of weeks ago, the, the, the roadmap for what open banking is next with uh, reoccurring payments and everything that comes in that sense, there is a lot of grounds that we can make up to, to create, I, I guess, more and more fruitful uh, foundations for those value-added services. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, I think you say you're right. Like it is a a roadmap, is a journey that uh, I think like we are just leaving maybe that sort of phase one, maybe foundational stage in which we do have all the different primitives in place to do a good job. But now it's about expanding those sets of primitives. And I think like VRP, uh, you, you mentioned variable recurring payments. It's maybe the like the latest chapter. Uh, in, in, in open banking, specifically open banking in the UK, and I believe it's going to be massive. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's just like, uh, if, if you think about um, removing friction in that sense, right? And, and at the same time, having the potential to displace uh, direct debit from one side, but also card on file on the other, I think it's just like a tremendous... Uh, just like uh, surface that VRP is trying to disrupt, right? Yeah. And so that that is incredibly exciting. Like we we uh, we were like really like if not the first, like I think we were the first. But anyway, it's not about being the first. I think like it's it's about uh, being early enough to start this source of discovery and journey. And and we are very glad like we're bringing live like the very first few customers. Um, I, I know, like the team was saying, that we we are starting to do like we we, we, we see like live traffic for VRP, and 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 in my mind, it's a little bit like 2018 once again. Like I was excited to see the first like accounts being shared and those KPIs going up, and and then the first payments, and now like it's just like history repeating, like the same level of excitement. And, yeah. I mean, that is exciting, isn't it? Because with those Lego blocks, then more and more things can be done, can't they, in that sense? I mean, how much of that do you think then is, I mean, this is not just, a, you know, organizations who are picking these Lego blocks up and building things with them. Uh, and it's not really even just you. I mean, you guys are a, a technology business. You manage products like products. You know, you, you evolve it like a roadmap. It's very, we're almost required now to have regulators, you know, open banking, you know, pseudo-regulator in that sense, or whatever ends up being called. But, you know, the actual idea of that roadmap being a, a long-term invested in, you know, these features we're doing these three years and etc. Like, this is a this is not a, a project that ends. This is a, a continually evolving thing, isn't it? I, I really believe it, it must be the case. Like, it's it's technology. Uh, you, 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 you usually have, like, some sort of, like, S-curve where, like, you... you you, you, you get to like a plateau and then you start improving, improving, and then there's something better eventually that distracts you. It could be like, I don't know, crypto in payments or something else at some point. But like the, the point is that you just can't be still and, and stand still and, and, and you just like need to keep evolving and, and polishing and figuring out what are the edge cases and solve all of that criticalities. And, and I really hope, like going back to uh, open banking specifically, I really hope that the new setup that they found in the UK from a governance perspective and commitment from the banks is, is going gonna, is gonna to happen as planned and is going to show results. Sure. On, on that, I'm pretty sure. Like If good people um, get around the table, like I think eventually we come to sensible 
places and sensible ideas. Yeah, I mean, it's all about maintaining momentum, right? It's been uh, a bloody long road to get to here, and actually it would be a big waste to make, uh, to lose that momentum, wouldn't it? So there's a lot of people who are still pushing very hard, aren't they, which is, which is good. All right, well, I, I guess if we look a little bit further forward, and actually I know we're, we're rapidly running out of time, and we are going to be kicked out of our little soundproof booth in the middle of, uh, uh, in the, middle of the show very shortly, I'm sure. Um, if we look forward, what do you reckon, five years from now, how, what do you reckon the payments landscape is going to be looking like? Maybe starting with you, Sarah. Well, Check honestly, you in the deep end on honestly, this one. Honestly, I hope we can't predict because <laughs> if we can predict, then things are not happening quite fast enough, are they? Uh, but if I'm to take a guess, um, I'd hope that uh, we see transformation moving into the corporate payments area. We've seen so much happening in the consumer space, um, in the merchant space, but really very little happening in the corporate space. Mm. We're still talking accounts payable, accounts receivables, uh, many days to settle the payments across borders, etc. So I think that's an interesting area to, uh, to keep an eye on. It's weird that, isn't it? How many people you know, use all of the things that we use from a consumer perspective for payments and then completely lose their minds when they go to work in a corporate. You know, it's like all of the necessity sort of gets left at the door. Yeah, and so. it's not like, it's not because it's not a problem and it's not because people don't want, it's just a more complex problem to yeah. solve when you work across borders, when you, uh, you know, it's not just you, it's a whole company, just, you know, things like signing off the payment and who gets, you know, who, who has the interface, etc. Yeah. Things just get a lot more complicated. For sure. And changing those but systems doesn't, is... It uh, doesn't mean it's a problem that can't be solved. Definitely, for sure. What do you think? Next five years? Next five years. We're sat so in think... money 2020, five years from now, having another chat, what's happened? I would think, you know, these these silos rather that we talk about in terms of embedded finance, open banking companies and crypto companies, I think we'll see the lines blur a lot more because I think these are the kind of the foundational features of what's going to get us to the next generation of payments and next digitization and banking and stuff like that. And I think in the next five years, we'll see these lines blur. I think we'll see all of them kind of working together to be driving innovation and driving and solving those corporate use cases as well as consumer use cases and kind of things like that. So that's kind of what I think will happen. But Very cool. What do, how about you? Five years I, from now? I mean, my, mine is a, is a hope, like, is that in five years, like, we don't have to bring with us the plastic that's like, and deal with like 16 digits, expiration date, all that good stuff. Um, I, I believe like now we have different, like better technology. We can use mobile, like there's really, I, I just don't see why we should like have that source of like payment experience. Clearly when you start like unpacking this concept and, and try to understand what does it mean for the average consumer to not carry around their um, debit or credit card. I think that there are massive repercussion. You need to like rewire several different verticals and industries so i don't know if five years is going to be enough but like i hope that five years is a is a uh, I, I hope like to your point that that uh, this is going to go faster than expected right and so get in five years to that inflation point well, five years from now, I wonder what version of the uh, payment services directive will be on at that point and uh, what version of open banking will be there and what standards will be set. But uh, but it's interesting, isn't it? The, the market, I mean, payments is both getting, you know, further and further down the stack and payments companies are vying further and further up the stack. So it's uh, an amazing thing. I think back to what we said earlier on, I think the, the greatest thing is all of the competition in the marketplace. That leads to really, really good outcomes for customers, doesn't it? 
on that note, we better wrap up, though. So thank you so much for joining us for today's discussion. And thank you so much, all of you, for, for joining us. Where can people learn a little bit more about you and your company? Um, go online on truelayer.com and you're going to see all our products, company background, and uh, very easily get in touch with um, some of our folks. Very cool. What, what about yourself? Are you a LinkedIn guy, a Twitter guy, um, hitting that Instagram? What's your, what's your social media of choice? Uh, I would say more LinkedIn, maybe. Right. That's that's where I'm a little bit... I, it's, I know it's boring. Like uh, I mean, I'm, a, I'm a predominantly a LinkedIn lurker these days myself as well. Like uh, I came off Instagram. It was just too much of a distraction. Uh, what, what, where about, how about um, yourself? Where can they phone more about you and um, uh, your good company? Absolutely. So Binance, download the app. <laughs> Binance.com, visit the site. Uh, you know, join in, put some fiat currency in and, and do some trades. Um, about me, feel free to find me on LinkedIn. Very good. I think it's probably the easiest way, yeah. And Sarah, which which surname are you going with on LinkedIn these days? Sarah Lawrence. Sarah Lawrence. All right, fantastic. And where can they find out a little bit more We're about at bankingcircle.com. Very, very good. All right, well, thank you very much for, for listening. Uh, if you've liked what you heard, subscribe to this podcast. Don't forget to leave us a review. It super duper helps other people to find the show. As always, if you want to join the conversation, find us on, I mean, every social media channel at this stage I think guys like everywhere really uh, even TikTok apparently like I'm not doing dances you can't make me do dances uh, but search for 11FS or Fintech Insider or email us if you really want to on podcasts at 11FS.com thank you very much for listening everybody goodbye <laughs>